This story is a request from my lovely wife, Rhonda. And I can't deny that woman anything. So, darling, this one is for you. It's one of her favourites. It's a French fairy tale called The Twelve Dancing Princesses. Now, a long time ago, in a small village in France, there lived a young man called Michael. His mother and father had died when he was young, and he spent his days working on a farm, herding the cattle. He looked after the cows, drove them up to the pastures, and then drove them back again in the evening. Now, he got very little to eat, and it wasn't much of a chore, but it was as much as he had, and he was quite a happy lad. But the thing is with Michael was that he was a dreamer. He always wandered around with his face turned up towards the sky, dreaming his dreams. And, you know, he was a very, very good-looking young man, with sparkling blue eyes and curly fair hair, and all the village girls fancied him. But they laughed at him, too, because he was such a dreamer and they called him the Stargazer. And when he went by, looking up in the air, they would all say, Hello, Stargazer, what are you looking at? And he would say, Oh, nothing. Or they would say, Hello, Stargazer, what are you doing today? Oh, nothing, he would say, because he had no time for them at all. They were rough and not particularly pleasant girls, he felt. So, the thing is, Michael was a dreamer. And what Michael dreamed about most of all was that one day he would marry a princess and he would live like a prince and be married to a beautiful princess. And what more could anyone want but that, he thought to himself. Now one day he drove the cows out to the pasture and he was sitting under a large oak tree and the only thing that he had to eat with him that day was just a lump of bread, just dry bread, nothing on it. And he had some water with him, so he drank his water, he ate his bread and then he went to sleep underneath the oak tree. And in his dreams, there was a lady came and spoke to him. And this lady was very beautiful, an older lady, but very, very beautiful. And she was wearing a golden dress, and on her head was a golden crown. And she said, if you go up to the king's castle, then you will marry a princess. Well, Michael woke up excited, and that evening when he drove the cattle home, he told all the people on the farm about his dream, and they all laughed at him. Oh, what a fool, what a dreamer, his head's full of nonsense. Well, he didn't care what people said about him. And the next day, when he drove the cattle off to pastures again, and after he'd eaten his piece of dry bread, he fell asleep under the same oak tree 
and he dreamed the same dream. The woman in the gold dress and the golden crown on her head came and said, If you go to the castle, you will marry a princess. Well, he told the people at the farm that evening about that too, and they laughed even harder at him. What a fool to even think such a thing. Well, he thought, they can laugh at me if they want. I don't care. But... If I dream the same dream tomorrow, I am going to herd those cattle straight back home, and I am setting off to find my fortune. Because if everyone knows, if you dream the same dream three times, then it's an important one. It is trying to tell you something. Or maybe someone from another world is trying to tell you something. And the same thing happened. He drove the cattle to the pasture. He fell asleep under the oak tree. He dreamed the same dream. The woman with the beautiful dress of cloth of gold and the golden crown on her head came and said, If you go to the castle, you will marry a princess. Well, that was enough for him. As soon as he woke up, he rounded up the cattle and he drove them straight back to the farm. The farmer was furious when he saw him coming back with the cattle so early. But he said, no, I haven't a moment to lose. I must gather my things together and set off to find my fortune. And he gathered all his belongings together in a little bundle on the end of a stick, and he set off walking towards the castle. Well, all the people in the village heard about this, and they all congregated on top of a hill, and they all laughed and laughed and laughed at him as he walked by. They rolled around on the ground helpless with laughter. They held their sides to stop them from splitting with laughter. And with the laughter ringing in his ears, Michael carried on going along that road, the road that would lead him to his fortune. Now, by the time he finally reached the king's castle, Michael was maybe slightly more, well, not quite so sure about things. Now, the thing is, you see, there was a bit of a story behind this castle as well. Because the king that lived there had twelve beautiful princesses. And their mother had died, sadly. And the king was left with these twelve girls. And they all loved each other very much. So much so that they all slept together in one large room, twelve beds in the one room. But, after their mother died, a strange thing started to happen, because they had satin dancing shoes, and every morning when they came into the room where the princesses slept, they found that their dancing shoes had been danced through into holes. They had danced their shoes into complete destruction. There was holes in the shoes. They had obviously been dancing and dancing all night. But there was never any sound of dancing. And the king became worried. And he said to them, How come are your shoes worn out every morning? And none of them would tell him. So he started to get worried. And he started to bar the door of their bedroom at night. 
locks and bolts, and he would secure them himself before he went to bed. But in the morning there were the princesses, and there were the shoes danced to ribbons. Well, the king was getting worried about this, and he'd had a proclamation sent out, saying that anyone who would stay in the little room that was next to the princess's bedroom, if they could watch over them during the night and find out the secret of how they ended up dancing holes in their shoes, why did they wear out their shoes? He wanted to know. And anyone that could give him that information, then he would allow him to choose whichever one of his twelve daughters that he liked as his bride. Well, needless to say, people came from all over. There was around fifty princes turned up, one time or another, and they were given permission to watch over the princesses from the little room off the bedroom. But in the morning, when the king went and unbolted the doors and unlocked them, what should he see but the twelve princesses, happily, lying in their beds as they always did until about midday? And there were their shoes, twelve pairs of satin dancing shoes, worn through into holes, and no sign at all of a prince. And this happened time and time again, nearly fifty of them, and they all disappeared in the night, never seen. Well, the king was getting rather desperate. And it occurred to Michael, the stargazer, the dreamer, that he couldn't go in front of the king and ask for permission to stay in the room of the princesses, him, a lowly, poor peasant man dressed in rags? No. He went to see the gardener instead and asked the gardener if he had any jobs that he could do. And the gardener said yes, they had just lost the boy that worked in the garden. And if he would work in there as well, then he had a special job in mind for him. He said, you're a very pretty young man. You have a very pretty face, and the princesses will like that. So every morning when they rise, usually afternoon when they rise, there is twelve bouquets of flowers made for them, and you shall take them up in a basket, and you shall give a bouquet to each princess as she leaves her bedroom. And I think that they will like you well, because you are such a pretty young man. Well, Michael thought that this was wonderful. A chance to see the princesses up close as well. Their reputation went around the land of how beautiful they were. Sadly, they had another reputation too, though. They were proud and haughty. They were always very dismissive, very arrogant with other people, not nice to them at all. But the chances to see a princess, well, Michael couldn't resist. And sure enough, 
The next morning the gardener had made up twelve beautiful bouquets of flowers, and they were put into a basket, and Michael went up the stairs and stood outside the princess's bedchamber. And when the, the princesses came out of the room, they all processed out one after the other, with the eldest leading the way, and then they went in the years that they were born, the eldest first, down to the youngest. And as they came out, they took the bouquet from Michael's hand that he offered them, but they never looked at him. They never even acknowledged that he was there. They were far too grand for bothering with the likes of this peasant boy. But the youngest princess, whose name was Lina, ah, oh, she was beautiful, dark and beautiful, all strawberries and cream. And she came out and she looked at Michael, and he looked into her eyes, and they were beautiful, dark eyes, soft and gentle and kind. And she said, Oh, isn't he pretty, she said, the new flower boy. And her sisters turned around and looked at her, and they laughed. They laughed derisively at her. And the eldest said, It is not befitting a royal princess to lower herself to look at a gardener. Well, the young princess, chastened by that, pulled herself together and turned around and walked away. Oh, but there was a connection between them. They could feel it, both of them. There was a spark there. Their eyes had met, and oh, they liked what they saw. But it was more than that. There was something, something that you just can't put your finger on. But it was very real, and it was there. There was a spark of desire, a spark of affection. Anyway, Michael went downstairs with his empty basket, and he went back to work in the garden. And he thought, oh, I would love to try to find out the secret, and oh, the chance to have that young princess as my wife. Oh, what he would give for that. Now, he fell asleep during the day. It was hot. It was the middle of summer. And he had a little snooze. And as he dreamed, the lady, the beautiful older lady, in the cloth of gold dress and the golden crown on her head, came back to him. And she was carrying two laurel trees in one hand, and in the other hand she held a little golden rake, a golden bucket, and a silk towel. And she said, I have brought you some gifts. The laurel trees that I bring you are very special. One is a cherry laurel, the other is a rose laurel. I want you to plant them in large pots, and you must rake them with the golden trowel, and water them with the golden bucket, 
and you must dry off their leaves with a silken towel. And once these trees have grown to the size of a fifteen-year-old girl, then when you go to them, you must say, Lovely Laurel, I have raked you with a golden rake, I have watered you with a golden bucket, and I have dried you with a silken towel, and then you can ask it for anything that you want, and it will grant your wish. Well, she disappeared, and Michael woke up, and there alongside him was the two laurel trees, and the golden rake and bucket and silken towel, and he found two lovely pots, and he planted those laurels in it, and he raked the ground around them with the golden rake, and he watered them with the golden bucket of water, and he dried their leaves with a silk towel. And they grew, and they grew very fast, and soon after just a few days they were as tall as a fifteen-year-old girl. Well, Michael went down to them one evening, and he took hold of the cherry laurel, and he gave it a little shake, and he said, O oh, lovely laurel tree, I have raked you with a golden rake, I have watered you with a golden bucket, and dried your leaves with a silken towel. Would you please give me the power to become invisible? Well, as soon as he said that, a beautiful flower grew on the tree. It was white, and it was exquisite. And Michael pecked it, and he put it in his buttonhole, and as he did that, he vanished. He held out his hands in front of him, but there was nothing there. He could feel them there, but he couldn't see them. Well, this was wonderful. And he sneaked into the castle. And that night, when the twelve princesses went up the stairs to their room, he followed behind them, barefoot, so that he wouldn't make a sound. And he got into their bedroom before their father bolted the doors and locked them. Well, he crawled under one of the princess's beds, so that they wouldn't accidentally bump into him when they were moving around the room. Now, from where he was, he couldn't see what was going on, but he could hear. He could listen to them. And they were getting prepared. They were going over to chests and wardrobes and taking out beautiful dresses and holding them up in front of a mirror and then putting them on. And, oh, they looked so beautiful. And then they admired each other. And then the eldest said, Right, are we ready, sisters? Our princes are growing impatient, I am sure. So it is time for us to go. Yes, they all said, we are ready. So the eldest princess went over and clapped her delicate little hands three times, and a trapdoor in the floor opened, and there was a, a flight of steps going down. Well, the eldest led the way, followed then by the next eldest, and so on to 
to Lina, the youngest, at the end, and Michael, sneaking down behind them as well to follow them to see where they were going. But in his haste, he accidentally stood on the hem of Lina's dress, and she said, Oh, someone is behind me, someone has caught hold of me. And her eldest sister said, Oh, you're always imagining things. You're scared of your own shadow, you are. You've just caught the hem of your dress in a nail. And so they went down. Now, Michael was very careful this time that he didn't step on her dress again. And they went down and down and down a long flight of steps, and they came to a corridor. And along that, and at the end of it, there was a door that was fastened with just a latch. The eldest princess opened the latch and out through the door. And the the twelve princesses and Michael behind came into a wood. And, oh, it was beautiful. All the trees in it, the leaves of them were all splashed and bejeweled with silver. It was wonderful. The moonlight shone on the silver, and they looked so lovely. Well, they went through the silver wood, and then they came to a golden wood. And this one, the leaves were all bejeweled and splattered and sparkled with gold. They went through that one, and they came to another wood, even more beautiful than the other two, because this one, all the leaves were decorated and bejeweled and splattered with diamonds. And then they came to a great lake. And there on the shore of the lake, there was twelve boats, and in each boat there was twelve princes. It was the princes who had stayed in their chamber that night. Now Michael knew that there was enchantment in the air here. This was no mortal place. And across the water of the lake there stood a huge castle, absolutely beautiful. And it was made of black marble, and it shone in the moonlight. And from all the windows in it light poured out, and he could hear across the water the sound of music. Well, each princess stepped into one of the boats with the prince. And Lena stepped into one as well, with Michael slipped in behind her. And the prince started to row them across the lake. And Lena said, We seem to be going very slow this evening. I've never seen you rowing so slowly before. And the prince said, Well, I can tell you I'm rowing as hard as I can, but they were behind the other boats. But the boats arrived across the lake, and they landed at a lovely little little stage, little wooden stage. And they all very gently got out of that little slipway, and they walked up, and there was the steps of the castle leading up to this beautiful big black marble castle. And each princess took the arm of the prince that had rowed them across, and they led them up the steps and into a beautiful ballroom. Now, Michael followed them, and the music was beautiful. There was harps playing, 
violins, violas, cellos. There was clarinets and oboes and piccolos playing as well. Oh, there was so many instruments. There was too many to name. And they played together so beautifully. The music was enchanting well, as well it might be, because this was an enchanted realm. And when Michael got into the castle, he kept into the corner out of the way, and he saw that there was the fifty princes were there. And they all danced with the princesses. And all about as well, there were fairy folk. And the fairy folk danced too. And they smiled when the princesses came in. It wasn't a nice smile either, though. It was a self-satisfied smile. A we've-got-you-where-we-want-you sort of a smile. Well, the princess danced with the princesses all night long, and Michael couldn't help but feel jealous, especially when he saw Lina sailing by dancing with a young prince leaning on his shoulder and obviously loving the dancing. You could tell in her eyes as they sparkled how much she loved to dance, and the young man that danced with her was every bit as keen on the dancing. Now, if Michael knew what was happening, he may not have envied those young men, because these were indeed the princes who had stood watch over the princesses and had disappeared and never come back. They had followed them down into fairyland at the invitation of the princesses. And then, after the dancing was finished and the shoes were worn through, then a lovely supper was prepared for them all. And when they were eating and drinking there, they were given a special drink, one that was laced with a fairy potion, and it made their heart freeze. They felt nothing. They forgot about everything, of who they were and where they came from. And all that they wanted to do was to dance. That was all they cared about. Now, they danced and danced all that night until the princesses had worn out their dancing shoes. And then they went to a great table, and there they ate all sorts of beautiful food, lovely, delicate, sweet things, things that princesses love, sugared flowers and lovely barley sugars and cordials and cracknels and wafers and all sorts of lovely things. And once they had finished eating that, then they set off to go home. They left the great ballroom down the steps and into the boats with a prince each with them to row them back. And Michael slipped in alongside the eldest princess's boat this time. And they rowed across the lake and then the princess stayed there while the princesses went ashore. And they went through the diamond wood and through the gold wood. And as they were going through the silver wood, and Michael decided to 
take a little sprig with him, and he broke off a small branch from one of the trees, and it broke with a crack. And Lena, who was at the rear, at the back of this line, she said, What was that? I heard a sound behind me. And the eldest sister just laughed at her and said, Oh, you and your imagination again. It's just the screech of an owl that lives in the tower of the castle. And they went to the door, and Michael was able to slip past them while they were talking, and he was able to get through the door and up the, co the corridor and the stairs and into the princess's bedroom. He opened the window, and he climbed down the vines that grew up the wall in front of the castle. He climbed down it into the garden just at sunrise. It was just time for him to start work in the morning. Now, they had to wait, of course, for a while before the princesses woke up and got ready. But the gardener had the twelve bouquets all ready. But Michael had the little sprig that contained the silver leaves all spangled with silver. And he put it in one of the bouquets, the bouquet for Lina, the youngest. And that morning, as he stood outside the room, the door opened, and the princesses came out in a line, the eldest first. They took their bouquets without even looking at Michael. But when Lina came up, she didn't look at him either, and he had his eyes cast down, as is befitting a man of his position in front of princesses. And when she took the bouquet, she immediately seen the sprig of the tree with the silver spangled leaves, and she knew where that came from, but she said nothing. And later that day, as Michael was working in the garden, she came over to him. She actually bumped into him by accident, really, but it seemed as though she was going to speak to him, but changed her mind at the last minute and went over to rejoin her sisters. Now, the next night, the same thing happened. Michael, with his flower that made him invisible, followed the sisters up to the room. He followed them down the stairs, down the corridor, through the door, through the silver wood, the gold wood, the diamond wood, and he stepped into Lina's boat. And as the prince was rowing over, he said, Oh, this boat feels very heavy tonight. And Lina said, Oh, it's just that it's so hot. It makes everyone feel fatigued. So they rowed across. And the princesses took the arms of the princes, and they went up the steps into the castle, into the ballroom, and they began to dance. And Michael stood in the corner and watched as he had done before. Now, Lina was looking out for him, but she never saw him. And that night, after they had feasted on all the fine, sweet things, they rode back across the lake, 
they were heading back again, and when they reached the golden wood, then Michael snapped off another little branch with the golden spangled leaves on it. And this time it was the eldest princess who said, What was that noise? I heard something. And Lina said, Oh, it was just the screech of an owl that lives in the tower of the castle. Well, again he got past them, and up the stairs, and out through the window, and down, down the vine, and into the garden. And the next morning, when the princesses all took their bouquets of flowers, the youngest princess saw that there was a little sprig from the trees, whose leaves were all decorated with gold, was in her bouquet. And she looked at him, but she didn't know what to say. So off they went. Now later that day, when Michael was working in the garden, Lena came over to him and said, I see that uh, this sprig of this tree, uh, I've never seen that before. Where did you get it? And he said, Your Majesty knows perfectly well where that came from. And her face went red. And she said, I will buy your silence, she said. I will buy your discretion on this matter. And she took out a bag of gold coins, and she threw it down on the floor in front of Michael's feet. But he just looked at her, and he said, My silence is not for sale. And he turned around and walked away. Well, the sisters had seen this, and they said to her, why are you talking to this gardener? Do you love him? Are you going to marry him? Oh, just think of that. You could marry him, and you could be a gardener, too. You'd be a gardener's wife. You could live in a, a little cottage at the foot of the garden, and you could help him draw water from the well and water the flowers. And every morning you could bring us our bouquets of flowers. Well, she was very annoyed about this. Now, after that, she didn't see Michael for quite a few days. But she could always feel him close to her during the day, sitting close at hand. And in the morning she never looked at him, and he never looked at her. But she could feel his presence, because he did like to put on his flower of invisibility and to just be with her. Now, four days passed, and again Michael had followed them, and on the way back, when they were passing through the diamond wood, he snapped off a little branch with leaves all sparkling with diamonds. And the next morning, Lena found that in her bouquet. Now she spoke to him this time and said, Where did you get this from? You know perfectly well, Your Majesty, where that came from. 
And I suppose, she said in a rather a haughty voice, I suppose you, knew, you know what my father said, the price that he put on our secret, of how we dance our shoes through into holes every night. I suppose you will be going to him and telling him the secret. No, he said, that is not my intention. Then what is, then? My nothing, he said. Well, she looked at him, stunned, and said, But, but why not? What, what prevents you from going and telling my father? Are you afraid? No, he said, I'm not afraid. Then what is it? Why do you not go and betray our secret? Michael couldn't answer her that, because it was the love that he felt in his heart for her. He couldn't betray her secret. He didn't want to do anything to hurt her. But the pain in his heart of longing for this beautiful girl who was unobtainable, he couldn't get her. He was only a gardener. He was a peasant. Well, he still put on his invisible flower and he still joined in when they gathered together, and he listened. Now, after that, Lena went to her eldest sister and said, Sister, the gardener, the young one, he knows our secret, and she told them everything. You knew this and you never told me, said the eldest sister. No, she said. What shall we do? Well, what? What else can we do? We'll go to our father and we'll have him thrown into the lowest dungeon. We'll have him cast in there and locked up until he rots. No. No, said Lena. you can't do that to him. He has never betrayed our secret. He's never done us any harm. Why should we do that to him? Well, I think we should get all our sisters together and we should discuss it with them, she said. So they did. The twelve sisters all gathered together to discuss what they should do with this troublesome young man. Of course, there were thirteen there at this meeting, not twelve, because Michael was there too, wearing his flower, the flower that he had got from the laurel tree that made him invisible. And he had all their plotting. And the eldest said, I think we should go unto our father and say that he's done some terrible thing and have him cast into the dungeon, and he can rot in there. Yes, said the other sisters, absolutely, we should indeed. But Lena, the youngest, said, no, you cannot do to that him, you cannot do that to him, and I will not let you. If you do that, then I will go to my father and I will tell him myself our secret. You wouldn't do that, they said. Oh, I would, she said. Well, in that case, said the eldest, we should invite him to come with us. He should come with us to fairyland, and there we should give him the drink, the drink with the secret magic potion in it that will freeze his heart, make him forget everything and only take pleasure in 
dancing. That's what we should do with them. Yes, said the rest of them, we should. And so they went down to the garden, and Michael was down there before them, and he'd taken the flower out of his buttonhole, so he was visible again. And the elder said, I believe that you know our secret. Come with us tonight to Fairyland as our guest. There's no reason that we have to keep a secret from you any more. You already know it. Thank you, he said. I will obey you. And he did. But before he went that night, he went back to the laurel trees and he, he shook the rose laurel and he said, Lovely laurel tree, I have wrecked you with a golden wreck. I have watered you with a golden bucket. I have dried you with a silken towel. Please give me fine clothing, fitting for a prince. And as he said that, a beautiful red flower appeared on the tree, and he pecked it. And as he went to put it in his buttonhole, he saw that he was wearing the most beautiful suit of black velvet, with a black velvet cap on his head, and he put the flower in his buttonhole. And, oh, he was all dressed and bejeweled and looked every inch the prince. And he was such a handsome young man, you could well believe it. And he went to see the king, and he said, I would like to watch over your daughters tonight, to try to find their secret. The king was delighted. No one had come for a long time, and this looked like a very, very fine prince. And so... He was escorted up the stairs with the princesses, and he was put in the room at the back, <clears throat> and when they were all ready, they signaled to him to come, and he followed them down the stairs and along the corridor and out that door, and through the silver wood and through the golden wood and through the diamond wood, and he came down to the shore, and there were the boats, and he got in the boat beside Lina, and they rowed across the lake to the castle, and up the steps, he took the eldest daughter, the eldest princess by the arm, and he led her into the castle. Oh, the fairy folk all pointed, and they all talked to each other when they saw him coming in, and they laughed, a silky, silvery laugh, but not a pleasant one. Another victim, they thought, another one for the special drink. Oh, yes, we'll freeze his heart. He'll forget everything that he ever knew. We'll only relish the dancing, just like we did to the princesses, and just like we did to all the princes. Well, they started to dance. Michael danced with the eldest princess, and, oh, she was impressed. He was the finest dance partner she'd ever had. He was so light on his feet. And he danced with all of the princesses. And at the end he danced with Lina, the youngest. And, oh, she was so beautiful, and he loved her so much. And despite herself, she was starting to 
feel that for him too. She loved him as well, but the spell was on her, and the spell was strong. Now when they danced all night, then when the supper was ready, Michael had been dancing with Lina, and they stopped dancing. And she looked at him, and in a very haughty voice she said, So, now it's the pinnacle of all your wishes, because now you've been treated like a prince. It's all you ever wanted, wasn't it? And he looked at her, and he looked into her dark, soft, gentle eyes, and he said to her, You have no reason to fear. You will never be a gardener's wife. And he turned around and walked away from her. She was left standing with a look of shock on her face. She knew what he meant. And she knew then what he meant to do as well. They were taken to the table and Michael sat next to the eldest princess. And across from him was Lina. And he was given the finest foods and the finest wines to drink. And, oh, they were very liberal with their flattery towards him. Oh, they flattered him. They said how wonderful he was, how beautiful he was, how wonderful he danced. And then the eldest said to him, Now that you know all of our secret, now that you know all about our fairyland, this enchantment that lies on us, we have no secrets for you, so let's celebrate your triumph with a special drink. And she made the signal to the fairies, and they brought a golden cup, all decorated with jewels, and they set it in front of him. And he knew what was in that cup but he decided that he was going to drink it. It was better to feel nothing than to feel the ache of the love that he carried with him and the hopelessness that went with that. And so he took one last long lingering look at Lina. He looked her in the eyes and then he picked up this goblet to drink. And she said, Stop! Don't drink! Well, when he heard that, he cast the drink behind him, and he leapt over the table towards her, and she took him in her arms, and she said, Oh, I love you! I would rather be a gardener's wife than a princess without you! And, oh, the spell broke! The fairies shrieked with rage and anger, and they disappeared. And with that, the enchantment was broken. All the princesses came to, they were themselves again. They weren't proud and haughty and nasty at all. They were lovely, kind people. And all the princes were freed from the spell too. And then Michael fell on his knees on the floor in front of Lina and said, I love you so much. Will you be my wife? And she said, Oh, yes, and no one else's. I choose you. I want you, nobody else. And so 
The spell was well and truly broken, and then all the princes, they fell on their knees in front of the princesses as well, and they all begged for their hands in marriages too. And the princes or princesses all thought, well, you know, seems Lina's getting married and she's the youngest. Yes, we'll get married too. But they got their pick of which prince they wanted. Remember, there was about fifty to choose from. So they made their choices and then they laid them out, arm in arm, down to the boats and they rowed across the lake. They had to go backwards and forwards quite a few times to pick up all the other princes who were in the castle. But once all the fifty-odd princes had been ferried across the lake, they all set off through the diamond woods, through the gold woods, through the silver woods, as as they entered the door into the corridor they could hear behind them the crashing and cracking of the walls of the castle as it split asunder and fell down, crumbled into ruins, the whole spell broken. Once that door was closed, there was no way into fairy any more. And so they went upstairs, and they went straight to the king's bedroom, and he had just woken up that morning. And then Lina told their father everything about Michael and how the enchantment had been on him and how it was now broken, thanks to his bravery. He was going to sacrifice himself for their happiness. The king was so pleased, and he said, Yes, my, my boy, you can have the choice of whichever one of my daughters you want. And Michael said, Oh, the choice has already been made by both of us. And so they were married, as were all the other princesses. And they lived very happily. But Lina wanted to know from Michael, how was it that you were able to follow us and us not see you? So he told them everything about the woman in the golden dress wearing the crown that came and told him he would marry a princess that gave him the laurel trees and the golden rake and the bucket and the silken towel. And when she heard that and heard the description of the woman, she said, Mother! And after that, she decided that the laurel trees should be cut down because it gave Michael an unfair advantage over her. And he was quite happy because, you see, they loved each other, and there was no secrets between them any more.